Well, good morning. I uh, had the uh, thrill yesterday of shooting a shotgun for the first time in my life. Yeah, what do you know? Actually, I'm only going to talk about the first two shots, and I actually hit a clay pigeon. This is probably one of them. I found this on the floorboard of my car leaving. Somebody apparently must have collected. I didn't know that we had retriever dogs there to be able to pick it up, but I kind of winged this one. Uh, and what an, what an adrenaline surge there was involved in that. So thank you for those of you um, that prayed for the 20 of us who got together, and uh, we had a great time. And uh, God just really uh, spoke, I think, to us in a, in a number of ways. And uh, the result of it was um, we want to continue to do this, uh, do this again um, in that ministry area. So uh, we also had a really cool event on Tuesday night as almost 200 people from Hillcrest gathered together to talk about worship and to just learn about where God was uh, uh, at work among us. And it was just this amazing time to actually have people go to places in the room that reflected five different ways um, God stirs people's hearts to worship. And uh, look at the church family and all the diversity of it and the depth of it, actually, the longing in every single one of those groups to see God really work in their hearts. And afterwards, um, our, as, as we uh, concluded, our purpose is to say, okay, God, what, what specifically do we want to learn from this? How can we work together as a family? And Dory and Daniel and a few other people are going to spend some time uh, just trying to figure out what, practically speaking, does that mean for us as a church family in terms of logistics and times and places and things like that, that we can actually, you know, with, with all, of our, all of our hearts, um, uh, be a worshiping community. And after they've spent some time uh, working through and wrestling through some of those issues, to come back to those that are interested in giving more feedback and perspective to it, uh, and then we'll follow God from there. But we don't want to just simply get together and talk. We actually have been praying about this for a number of months, and we want to, we want to discern um, God's steps for us in, in taking us forward uh, in that regard. And, and on a more broad level, we're engaged in planning where we're looking at the year 2020 and figuring out what does it mean, what has God called us to as a congregation. We've seen what's happened in children's ministry, and this is the first Sunday of our team working in children's ministry, and a number of you have jumped up to the board and say, I want to be in, I want to serve in that, and we thank you for that and look forward to what God will do in that category. But there's more that we want to think about in that area as well as the broad, broader church. So here's my uh, uh, encouragement to you. Would you please pray for us? Uh, as we move into this, we want to seek God's perspective and God's leadership as we envision where he's leading us uh, between now and the year 2020. And as we say goodbye to Tim and Maria and the whole Sacconi clan as they head for Chicago, uh, it's easy to say goodbye to Tim. Uh, God has used him. God, ha- I- I'm sorry. <laughs> Twitter, Mark says it's easy to say goodbye to Tim. It's easy to hug Tim and just tell him how deeply, deeply we appreciate the ministry he's been involved in here. Uh, And it it is a loss for for us to see him go. But there's a whole family. And there's Marie who's been engaged. There you guys guys are. I didn't even see you guys. But a whole family that makes this ministry work. And Marie hasn't just simply been at home managing kids and household, but actively engaged in so many ways in what has happened, in, in what, in, and how God has used them among us as a church family. So thank you, Maria.
let's um, pray as we uh, go to God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for your for your work in our lives, and we have seen manifestations of that as a church family recently in so many ways. Over and over again, you're just showing us. Your blessing upon us as a, as a congregation and, and your guidance to us as you move us forward and you move people out from this congregation into so many areas. God, it is, it is such a joy um, to be part of what you want to do in this world and the growth that comes in us as a result of it. I pray, Lord, this morning as we look at your word uh, that you would continue to equip us for the calling you have for us. Uh, this, this, the, the issues we're talking about this morning uh, are, are hard to discern um, and difficult and awkward. But I pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would just, you would just um, cover us as a blanket in your grace and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My grandmother lived with us growing up. Perhaps some of you have heard the story. She was referred to in her church circles as Hot Rod Tilly. Uh, and uh, she just packed her cars out, filled with kids to Sunday school, rolled over one time, and there must have been enough kids in that car. They didn't have seat belts back then, and that everybody was safe because it was just one big blob rolling over in this in this vehicle and she had a little bit of mishaps with police officers along the way but she was she was uh, 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 she was um, uh, not to be fooled with uh, as even police officers would find out uh, and I called her spunky as, as she grew up she was about just this tall and I could put my head my chin on the top of her forehead and she was spunky and when I was young she was the enforcer in our household and there were rules uh, there were rules that uh, any household would have, and the enforcer would walk in when we weren't ready for her to be in the room. And there we were playing with cards, playing cards. Uh, that was on the rule of that was on the list of vices in my household growing up, along with dancing, even square dancing, if you can believe it. There was the devil was in that. And uh, there were movies as well. We just couldn't watch them. But we, we violated several of these rules. Uh, and one of them, I remember distinctly when my grandma came into the room and the siblings were playing cards together. And, and uh, she just looked at us with those eyes. And you knew that you were not going to be blessed by her. You just, you just knew it. And she scowled and she shunned us, really. She just walked out of the room and I heard her just mumbling under her breath something about the devil's tools. And, and we, know, we knew that we were at least in trouble with Grandma, uh, if not with God himself. Uh, but our church that we grew up in, it, it was a wonderful place. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it was, it was similar to that. And there was this sense that we as church people were the enforcers. Uh, and there were lines that should not be crossed. There were people who went through divorce and they were on the wrong side of the line of those blessed. And those who had gone through unfaithfulness, those who had caused trouble in their family that was stirred up because of their wrestling with alcohol. And they were just kind of on the, on the outside. And, and there were those who got pregnant in the wrong season of their life. And, and these people were talked about uh, in our church family. 
they weren't in the category of the blessed ones. I grew up learning to be alert to those people and those choices. I grew up learning to be critical. Those weren't the words we used. We used words like discerning, right? And protectors of purity. Um, And I grew up with a shrewd eye to discern uh, who was in the appropriate category. I didn't grow up learning to love those people. Isn't that interesting? I grew up in an environment where my discernment capacities were sky high. My ability to sort out a means, a a, a way, a manner to love those people, I I just never went to that class. I never learned it. Society, actually, is a society that we see, actually. And you, we've seen a couple of episodes of that even on the news this week. And we realize that we're a society that's really good at shunning. Um, there are people on, on the one side and people on the other side. And, and we're really good at making sure they don't stay in their job or don't have their voice or whatever it is. And, you know, you look around, frankly, and you see it on, on bo- bo- all sides, It's not like it's um, just simply something that happened in my church growing up. It's a part of culture. We have this capacity to discern and to to, to kick out, to consider as outcasts, and it just transcends all of society. And so you see this polarization that is happening with this shunning that is occurring. And my question is, is it possible that there's another way? Is, there's a, is there actually a way that Jesus regards people? Our text this morning, the story this morning, really is the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas. I mean, he was on the outside of those or people of faith. In fact, when we come to the end of the story, we hear that he doesn't receive Jesus' blessing. I mean, have you noticed that part of the story? He says, you know, you believe because you have seen But there's a group of people who actually are in the category of being the blessed ones. Those are the ones who didn't see and yet believe. Those are the ones that just quickly embrace Jesus. So here's my question. How does Jesus treat the people that he doesn't put in the category of blessed? How does Jesus? What does Jesus do with people? that are not in the blessed are those category. And as we look at this text, we realize what he does. He, he walks right up to them with hands open and he deals with their issues and their struggles because he longs to embrace those people. If Jesus blesses those that readily believe, what does he do for those that don't? He approaches Thomas with openness and grace and longing for his life to be filled with hope. Is there a way for us in a world that is filled with those who draw lines to live like Jesus? The one who came, characterized by grace in truth. I was in Seattle in uh, January, I think it was, with my daughter. And uh, while we were there, 
when it, there were a couple things I noticed. One, how polarized the city of Seattle is, actually. Just absolutely polarized on social issues. And in the midst of being there, um, the snowstorm came to Seattle. Uh, and in Seattle, uh, you know, a, a, a category disaster snowstorm is three inches. They have two snow plows. That's what somebody told me. And, and so you can imagine what happened on that Saturday night as snow began to fall in Seattle. And I wrote uh, reflections on it, and I want to share those with you this morning. I want to just simply read some of the reflections that happened uh, during that time. I was considering going to a church. It was a lot like a church I would normally be a part of. And I was staying with some friends. And uh, one of our friends was actually going to be singing in a choir in a church that was not like one I would have considered going to. This was what I wrote. My friend was inviting me to worship with her. I appreciated both the invitation and the sense of deep gratitude she had for this congregation. It's not like the church you're planning to attend tomorrow, she said. This one is very much open and affirming. These terms of endearment were couched in unmistakable contrast to my intended choice for that Sunday morning. Those terms are loaded with meaning in our current setting. As with most descriptions like that, who would want to be closed and deny, right? Who would want that? But what does it take to actually follow Jesus and represent the terms open and affirming? That Saturday night, it snowed in Seattle. If you've lived there, you understand what this means. Three inches of snowy precipitation stops the world. People make snowmen. They throw snowballs and try to keep cars from collecting it in bunches at the bottom of the hills. Neighbors don't go anywhere that they planned, including church. It's like one big family gathering. That's just what it was like when we were out together that evening. All of Seattle spontaneously becomes open and affirming. I laughed with the two men who lived in the house up the street as they provided commentary on the civic that just slid into the fire hydrant and the subsequent disaster when the water company decided to navigate that same hill that seemed perilously steep long before the snow even fell. I shuffled towards Seattle Pacific and discovered clusters of students speeding down the streets on cafeteria trays. It was one big coming outside party. Nothing was working and everybody acted like they were best friends. Perhaps this is one of the reasons God created snowfalls, especially in places like Seattle. The wonder of it changes everything. Words commonly used to draw distinctions mean nothing when stunningly white snowflakes accumulate. I wonder if churches could be open like that. What if our church, I mean, after all, it's called the body of Christ, was open, open to coming inside parties that look a lot more like what we witnessed Saturday evening in Seattle, open to every person that dared to walk in the door. Frankly, the fact that the word dared seems to fit in that question illustrates our problem. We sing, come ye sinners. I wonder if we need to work our way through those words again. 
Jerry Bridges wrote a book entitled Respectable Sins. Here it is, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. And there are categories that include things like pride and lack of self-control and anger, and it goes on and on. The pages contain a catalog of sins that Bridges actually acknowledges. We can actually dress up in suit and ties and shake hands with every Sunday morning as we smile at each other openly. Because fortunately, what we're dealing with is is in this book and not another one. To be completely frank, it's hard to dress up a same-sex couple in the same way. The first suit and tie misleads us. We think righteousness has just walked through the door. That's why the pair behind them feel like incongruent outsiders. As the door closes and the guitars start to play, we can almost be persuaded that God's holy people have gathered here and that the sinners have been kept out there, or at least those whose choices failed to appear in the respectable sins catalog. The music begins and we sing, Come ye sinners, once you have made yourself respectable. We sing with hearts unopened. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall. We have closed the doors only to discover that we have not protected ourselves, but rather have a distorted understanding of Jesus. That distortion must be crucified. Barriers that communicate fundamental differences must crumble. Who could imagine keeping any sinners away? Inside God's help, inside God's house, there is a blizzard to enjoy of grace and wonder and transformation. Impossible, you say? Not if we actually believe in the resurrection. Closed doors betray doubt that far exceeds any Thomas had. Now that's disbelief. Come ye sinners, what if the criterion for fellowship wasn't perfection, but surrender? What if we gave back to Jesus the role of sifting wheat and tares? Did you notice that he never gave us that job description in the first place? He said, you wait, I'll do that. What if our highest value was to be open towards others, all others? What if our greatest aspiration was to be open about our own need for His sanctifying work in our life? What if the natural consequence was for us to also be open to neighbors who would want the same for themselves if they knew it could be so? What if we could grasp the vision of Jesus for a family composed of sinners like us and not so much like us, enjoying the wonder of his love and transformative power together. Jesus was described as a friend of sinners. For some around him, this was an unimaginable step to step into those places where people like that were. To be open to all is one thing, they might say, but to affirm their worth would have been way over the line. It often, it often is today. As a friend of sinners, us being the sinners, 
he affirms our value to him, our preciousness in his sight. As a father myself, there is no surprise here. I know the compassion a dad has for kids, for anyone that belongs to him. So as a friend of sinners, shouldn't we expect him to be friendly to people just like us? That's right, just like us. Back to the snowstorm. There's something intoxicating about getting hit with a snowball. Watch the person trudging through campus, navigating what seemed to be only new perils that come with snowfall. A snowball suddenly strikes him, disappearing into thousands of bits, gone but not inconsequential. The snowball actually said something. Someone noticed me, and they're inviting me into the party. Three inches of snow on the sidewalk, initially creating only concern, can be packed, picked up and packed into an invitation. No one can remain isolated or marginalized in the middle of a great snowball fight. Now look around, flakes flying everywhere, and the night is filled with people of every sort, white as snow. Perhaps this is our real calling to invite people to snowball fights and throw snowballs. When snow flies, it doesn't matter what color you wore. Christ died so that the world could be filled with people made white as snow. Hey, you trudging through campus, you matter more than anyone could possibly communicate. And we're going to do our best to represent him incoming Jesus' death is a fundamental assertion that every person alive matters to God. Not because they've embraced Him, but because they're human. That's it. So God calls on us to affirm them, to call them friends, to welcome them in. Wait, it's even more remarkable than that. The person with the rainbow window sticker has been made in the image of God. If I dare, and that's where the word really fits, to draw close enough, I will actually see some of the same things Jesus sees. Faint resemblances at first, and then a growing understanding that we are somehow related. We write a mental note. Next snowfall, they get a Facebook invite to the party. We were meant to affirm the worth of people. We affirm that God makes beautiful things and that people were made by him. This isn't about affirming one's brokenness. Jesus doesn't affirm ours, but Jesus does affirm that we are worth his sacrifice, worth being transformed. Everyone witnesses the miracle. Transformed people look more and more like Jesus. Jesus, the friend of sinners. When will the Seattle Times begin writing news articles about how affirming evangelical churches are? It should come so naturally for us. People made in the image of God are everywhere. To be candid, my friend would say that this is not at all what she meant by open and affirming. And that I've completely missed the point. But if we begin to live out this kind of openness and affirmation in our congregations and in our friendships, if we live our lives in such a way that though others may accuse us of doing it wrong, yet see what appears to be actually goodness in our lives, if the snow begins to fall again on places like Seattle and 
Overland Park, there will be people joining us. These people, undoubtedly filled with initial apprehension about the change in weather, will find themselves headed toward the commons in search of cafeteria trays, hearts beating with anticipation and hope. Have you glanced out the window lately? Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. I want to encourage you by asking three questions. One, who are the people around us that would never make Jesus uncomfortable, but might make me, us, uncomfortable? Have I drawn lines between us that he did not in my who will I be friends to? The second question, do we actually believe in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Do we actually believe in the resurrection? Or do we walk into a room nervous about who might show up and long to know this Jesus? Do we actually believe that the Holy Spirit works. Can you imagine the absurdity of walking into a doctor's waiting room and seeing a sign on the wall that says, when your symptoms of God are gone, the doctor will see you then. I mean, you would think that would be crazy. If there is no doctor in the inner office, we better guard the doors because people with stuff might come in. But if there actually is a doctor in there that can heal, and does heal, then the waiting room looks entirely different. Come, you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall. Join us. Because we all have stories. I know many of your stories. I know what you've wrestled with. I know how you've been wounded. I know those stories you don't want anybody else to know. And I know that God works, and so do you. So do we. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We say on Easter morning, Jesus is risen, and we say it with full hearts because we know it's true for us. The third question is this. Can I trust his timing? Is it okay that the person sitting next to me doesn't have their life together. I think of when I was a kid and I would come up and celebrate communion and all of those older and wiser people in the congregation would say, that kid, his life is still screwed up. He still doesn't get it. He doesn't know what it is to trust the Lord, to walk, walk with God. He doesn't get it. And there he is partaking in communion. And you know what? I didn't know it yet. And those people, older and wiser than me, would just with confidence in the Holy Spirit know, it'll come. That's what Jesus does. That's why we live our life. We live our life, and little by little, more and more, we become conformed to the image of Christ. And is it okay for us to be patient with one another as the Holy Spirit puts the agenda together for someone's life that is not in the sequence it was for mine? What does that look like? 
And then the fourth question, how can I express the open-handed love of Jesus to those it will surprise most this week? When Jesus came, he was characterized by grace and truth. And I think we each like one of those better. I'm kind of a grace person, or I'm kind of a truth person. And I wonder, well, which one takes the priority? And as I look at the life of Jesus, you know what I notice about Jesus? He takes out whichever one of those will surprise the people around him the most. And there is a wonder in it. Someone tells me the truth and I figure out why my life is so broken and messed up. And it is a cold drink of water to hear that truth. And what a surprise it is for someone to point it out. Or he takes out grace. And what a surprise it is when no one expected that he would be characterized by grace. How can I express the open-handed love of Jesus to those it will surprise most this week? We are praying for a snowstorm Easter morning. We came close. Last year it was Palm Sunday, right? Remember, we took out the snow and we just threw it all over the place. We're praying for a virtual snowstorm on Sunday morning, Easter weekend. We want to be a place and a people that are characterized by the reality and the truth of the resurrected Christ and the grace that comes with it. Who will you invite to the party? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to figure out what uh, this means. Um, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would guide us into um, what you have for us. Help us to look like you in all of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.